1: You can turn in your, your Bibles to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's what we'll be, be studying this morning. Uh, I, I'm looking around the room and I see a lot of faces I don't know, so welcome if you're visiting here, if it's the first or second time here. Uh, my name's uh, Ross Gilbert, I'm one of the lead pastors here, and I'm excited to have you guys here, and uh, I'd love to meet you after the, after the service and uh, get to know you a little bit more, uh, because it's, it's interesting, we get to know one another through our stories, but there's, there's another story that we often hear in our head. It's the, the story often that we tell ourselves, or at the very least the story that we believe about ourselves. And that story is so important. It's so critical because that, that story ultimately determines how you see yourself. And, and how you see yourself is going to impact often how you see God and how you interact with God, but even how you see and interact with other people. And so the, the questions in that story really define in terms of, do you have significance? Do you, do you fit in? Do you belong? Are you safe? Are you, are you someone that can do something, or are you someone that can't do very much? And so your identity on this, your, your, the questions, how you answer those questions really do matter. As Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man believes in his heart, so is he. So if I, if I believe that I'm a, a worthless person, how will I act like a worthless person? If I believe that no one's going to love me and that you're going to reject me, then I'm going to act in a way that will almost, maybe even guarantee it. Maybe it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, but at the very least, I'm going to make sure that you don't get too close to me so I don't get hurt, but in keeping you away, I've excluded you from loving me, and I'm experiencing that rejection anyways. And so how we see ourselves is, is critical, and a lot of how we see ourselves is simply just determined at birth, in terms of the family you're born into, the, the gender you're born with, the, the very fact that you're a human and, and not a goat has an impact on your identity, believe it or not. For me growing up, the, the story I heard, there, there are many levels to it, many aspects to it, but one of the things that I remember most believing about myself was about my size, I was, a, I was a little kid, smallest kid in all my classes. Uh, it didn't help the fact that my birthday is you know, in December, at the end of this, the, the year, so everyone was always older than me as well. Uh, but I was, I was always the smallest kid in my class, uh, and, and head and shoulders, in fact, uh, from some of them. And, and that weighed on me, that, that determined how I saw myself, because I felt small. I felt little. I felt like I didn't have a lot to offer. I didn't feel like, like I, I, that anyone respected me. And so I felt this drive to, to need to earn that respect, to, to work harder than everyone else. And, but it was an exhausting way to live because that was the story that I, tell my, I told myself. Now, in, in today's culture, we're, we're trying to create an idea where you can tell yourself any story. And, and no matter what you tell yourself, you have your own truth. And as long as it's your truth, that's, that's enough. The problem is I can tell myself something over and over again, but if at the end of the day, if it isn't true, then it's not gonna matter very much. So I can I can tell myself over and over again that I'm I'm six foot four. But I'm not six foot four. And and I'm I'm delusional at that point because there's nothing to point to. There's nothing to say that this is why it's true. So we need something to to root our identity in, something to determine who we are. Um, and and really hold on to. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck believing the lies. And there's nothing I can do to fix that. There's nothing I can do to change that. As it says in Jeremiah, can a leopard change its spots? I can't change who I am on my own. I need someone greater than that. I I need God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you turn again in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the, the passage that we're going to be studying this morning is in verses 16 and 17, and I'm, I'm really excited because I, let me put it this way, I think this is the most important message I'm going to deliver all year. I really do. I really believe that this is, this is such an, a critical passage. It's a critical concept that we're going to be looking at this morning, uh, so pay attention. Right? Don't worry about you know, what you're having for lunch later and who you're meeting with and, and, and you know, Christmas gifts and all that stuff. Just, just pay attention to what Father wants to say to us this morning. So let me read, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray, will be life-changing for all of us. That we we will have an encounter with your spirit and your word, the truth that sets us free. That sets us free from how we've been seeing ourselves and And how the the labels that we've been wearing and, and the messages that we've been told about what we should believe about ourselves, and that we would be able to understand, Jesus, who you've made us. What you've done to make it all possible. And that we would have the courage to trust that by faith. And so I'm going to trust your spirit to be the teacher, to speak through me, but more importantly, would you take your truth and make it real to us? Give us revelation, give us understanding to what you want us to see this morning. In your name we pray, amen. All right, to really understand this passage, I think we have to understand the cross. We have to understand the cross, because that's that's sort of that foundational aspect to everything we believe. It all comes back to the cross. And, and I, I say that because in, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, if, if you kind of turn back a few chapters uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in your Bibles, Paul there is talking about how this, this message of the cross or the word of the cross or the teaching of the cross, depending on your translation, he says it's foolishness to those who are perishing. It, it's foolishness to those who are struggling in life, meaning that either they don't know, they don't understand, or maybe they've outright rejected it. It's foolishness, and so they're struggling through life. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Now, that, that always catches my eye, that verse, because Paul's tense there, he's talking about being saved. Is that a past tense, present tense, or future tense? You didn't realize there'd be a grammar on the, on the testimony. I told you, pay attention, right? You were forewarned, right? Being saved, past, present, or future? Present tense, right, which is unique. Because think about it. How do we typically talk about salvation? I was saved, right? I was saved when I was four or when I was 12 or when I was 15, right? We typically talk about it in a past tense way. John, we talk about it in a future tense because we're praying for him, right? But the rest of us are past tense. That's a joke, right? So it's because I love you, John, right? You understand that. All right. So we typically talk about it in a past tense way. And Paul had such a moment like that where he was saved in his past, right? He was on the road to Damascus, on his way to imprison and persecute more more Christians when he had an encounter with God, realized that Jesus is, in fact, God, is, in fact, Lord and Savior. He surrendered his life. He yielded his life to Jesus, and he was born again. He was saved in that moment. But that's not what Paul's referring to. He's not referring to the road to Damascus. He's referring to each and every day all the different struggles, all the different trials, everything he's enduring, everything he's experiencing, he's he's realizing that he is presently being saved through the message of the cross because the message of the cross is the power of God. Let that sink in. What's the message of the cross? It is the power of God. We want to experience the power of God, amen? All right, so to understand this then, we got to understand why God needed to rescue us in the first place. So if, again, if you have your Bibles with you and you can flip quickly in 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 15 and verse 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22. We're just going to look at that first half of the verse. It's a, it's a simple verse, but it's, it's really got profound consequences. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for those who are in Adam all die. I say it's got profound consequences because we're talking life and death. There's nothing greater, there's nothing more important than life and death. And that's what we see here is that that Paul's saying those who are in Adam all die. Well, who that applies to and and who he's talking about, all hinges our our understanding of that little two-letter word, in. What does it mean to be in someone? And so that's kind of what we want to understand. We want to understand the significance of what it means to be in someone. So let's, let's illustrate it to you this way. We got Abby back here. Abby is, is pregnant. We're excited for little, little Abby or little Austin to be born. Uh, we're looking forward to that. But right now, where is the little baby? In Abby, right? So when Abby showed up here this morning to church, where did baby go? Right? And afterwards, maybe Austin and Abby, they decide to go out for lunch, and because it's Sunday and they're Christians, they go to Swiss Chalet. And so they go to, they go to Chicken Church. And, and so where's little baby now? At Chicken Church, right? And, and then, then they get the idea, you know what would be really exciting is to go bungee jumping. And so there goes Abby. She jumps. And where's little baby? yo and up and down. Now, I don't know if they allow pregnant ladies to do that, but if they did, little baby would be bouncing up and down in you know, a little bit of a shake here uh, because that's what Abby's doing. Now, what did baby have to do to make that happen? Nothing. Simply because baby is in Abby, whatever Abby's doing, baby's doing. But more than that, whatever happens to Abby happens to baby. Let's, let's imagine, God forbid, but let's imagine the, the cord snaps, and it, Abby goes splat. What happens to baby? I know it got dark real fast, didn't it? Didn't it? I should have warned you on that one. I'm glad you're paying attention. That's a good sign, though, right? So that's good. So baby, Abby goes splat, baby goes splat. So what happens to Abby happens to baby, because baby is where? In Abby. Simple concept, Right? Profound consequences, absolutely profound consequences. So let me, let me illustrate it to you in another way, because I think, again, it's so critical that we understand it. I got some, uh, some people here. Who's this good-looking guy? We've got Pastor Robin here. I got another guy, Pastor Josh, and finally, Pastor Greg, good-looking, good-looking. <laughs> You know how many hours of Photoshop this took? I mean, it's, uh, it's remarkable. But but here we got I got these three guys. Now you might be wondering why am I not on here? I have another role in this illustration that will become apparent later on. But I want to take these three guys, and we're going to put them in who? In Adam, right? We're going to put them in Adam. And and the reason we're doing that is because. If we go all the way back to the garden, where was your life? In Adam. The whole of creation, all of mankind was back in that garden with Adam and in Adam. Now what does it mean to be in someone? What happens to them happens to whoever's in them, right? So if, if Adam were to, for example, um, you know climb a, a mountain, where were Greg, Josh, and, and Robin going? Climbing the mountain, right? And if they, if they were to stumble and fall into a, into a crevasse, what happened to these three pastors? They'd fall too, right? And, and then if they maybe they, they fell into a lake and they, they, they froze, what would happen to those guys? They would have froze as well. Again, the concept is simple. It's that whatever is happening to Adam is happening to those that are in Adam. In this case, here are our three pastors. Does that make sense? But remember, it's more than just the three pastors. It's who? All of humanity. Every single one of us is in Adam. Now, that's significant because in Romans 5, it says that when Adam sinned in the garden, what happened to all these guys? What did these guys do? They sinned with him. It says that in Romans 5.12. And the grammar is very specific here in Romans 5.12. Through the one man's transgression, sin entered the world and death through sin because all sinned. And the grammar is specific. It's not saying all will sin one day or all have sinned, which is definitely the case of these three guys if you know them. It's talking about those, they all sinned in the same moment at the same time as Adam. And so the reality is, You and I, we all sinned when Adam betrayed God. When Adam ate from that no no tree, guess what we did? We ate from the no no tree. And what happened to Adam as a result of eating from the no no tree? What did God warn them would happen? The day you eat, you will surely die. What happened to these guys? They all died. Now, they didn't fall over dead physically, because Adam didn't fall over dead physically. We're talking spiritually right? And so spiritually, they all experience separation from God. They're all, oh, man, that makes sense. No wonder you guys are looking at me weird, right? So, well, they're upside down. They're dead, right? So they're, anyways. So, so they're now separated from God. They're disconnected from his life. And so they, they've sinned. They're separated. It says in Romans five seventeen that because of one man's transgression, all were condemned, Every single one of us. we were condemned even before we were born. And then finally, in Romans 5:19, the many became sinners. Think about that. How many sinful things did Jim have to do to become a sinner? None. He was born that way, because he was in Adam. Right? It's like real estate. Tim, what are the three most important things about real estate? Location, location, location. I'm so glad you passed the test, because otherwise we're in trouble, right? <laughs> because you and I are located in Adam, what happens to Adam happens to us. So we're born this way. Do you see the problem is more than just your behavior? The problem is not that you lied one day, or that you stole a chocolate bar, or you teased someone, or you got angry, or you got upset, or, or you cheered for the Ottawa centers. That's not your sin, The sin is that you were in Adam when he sinned in the garden. That's our problem. That's the situation that mankind is in. Now, the reality is can forgiveness wipe away your identity? No. Think about it this way if you have a pig, and what do pigs like to do? Roll around in the mud, and it's not always mud sometimes, right? If you wash that pig, what do you have? A clean pig, right? You dress it up. Brush its little fine fur, put a little bow on it, some lipstick, a nice little dress. What do you got? A weird looking pig, but it's still a pig. No matter how much you clean it up, no matter how much you dress it up, it never changes its nature. We saw in Jeremiah, a leopard cannot change its spots. No amount of forgiveness will change the nature of that pig. It's what it is. And that's our problem. It's not our sins that are our problem. I mean, they were a problem and God needed to address them, but they weren't primarily our problem. To really understand what our problem was primarily, think about what Jesus says in John 10.10. He says, I have come that you might have life. See, what our problem was, wasn't that we needed forgiveness primarily. We needed life because we were in death. We had the wrong kind of life. We had, we had Adam life. That was our problem. And so God's going to have to rescue us. He's going to have to redeem us. And no amount of forgiveness is going to solve this problem. So he says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul writes, by God's doing, you're now in Christ." He's going to transfer us out of Adam and place us now in Jesus. So here's, here's what happened. The moment of salvation, right, where, where Robin, uh, Josh, and we think Greg, they all <laughs> prayed to surrender their life to Jesus, amen? And in that moment, God, I told you, I played a part in this illustration, right? <laughs> I figured the one most like him should play him. That's that's definitely a joke, right? Good thing my wife's not here. So at the moment of salvation, God takes you and I out of Adam and places us where? In Christ. Now, this is significant. Because what does it mean to be in someone? What happens to them happens to you. Well, let's see if that's true. Let's see if that's true. Turn in your Bibles. This is important. We're going to read this one together. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And I want you to, want you to read this along in your own word, in your own Bible, and maybe make notes if, if something stands out to you. But Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Paul writes, or do you not know? Let's pause right there. What does is, what is that phrase imply? Or do you not know? You should know, right? That there's something important here. There's something critical, but maybe you don't know. Maybe, maybe you haven't heard, or, or maybe, maybe you haven't understood it, or maybe you heard it, but you've forgotten about it. Or maybe you'd never appreciated the significance of it. So 2,000 years ago, Paul writes these words, or do you not know? And in my experience, in dealing with with believers from all different backgrounds, all different churches all over the world, what Paul's about to say, they they don't know. It's sadly the best kept secret, or maybe the worst kept secret in the sense that it's so valuable, but it's been hidden from us. So we have to understand, well, what's he saying? What do we need to know? What do we need to understand? And and so he goes on, all of us who have been baptized. Now, when you read or think of the word baptized, what pops into your head? Word association. What's the first word that pops in your head? Baptized? Water. Water. Right? I grew up, I won't say the tradition, but we love baptism. (laughs) I won't say which denomination I'm from, but we loved it. Right? We thought it was really important and special. And so when, whenever I think about that word baptism, that's what I thought of. I thought about a, a little baptismal tank. Uh, maybe, it was, uh, maybe it was in a swimming pool like we've done at the, at the camp. Uh, maybe it's in a lake. But there's, there's some, time, some kind of a moment where we're making a public proclamation of our faith, where we're being baptized. And we, we look at that. And now some, some traditions immerse, some uh, pour, some uh, sprinkle, Others probably shoot you with a water pistol. You know, there's all different kinds. But we, we picture that moment where you're making that public proclamation of faith. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's not thinking about water at all in this verse. The problem is this word baptized is, is a transliteration. And what I mean by that is a transliteration is that they took the Greek word baptizo, and rather than translating it, they just made it English-sounding. Hence, baptize. The problem is, we don't know what baptizo means, and we don't know, therefore, what baptize is pointing to. But the word baptizo simply means to be placed into or immersed into. For example, if any of you had tea this morning, maybe here or at home, what did you do to the tea bag? You baptized it. You didn't realize how holy your tea is, right? But that's what you're doing. Every time you put that tea bag into the hot water, you are baptizing. The, hot, the, the tea bag. Or if you put the spoon in there, you are baptized in the spoon. God bless you, right? So that's what the word baptized means, to be placed into a immersed tomb. So let's understand it from that. Let's do the work of the translators. Let's start at the beginning of verse three. Read along with me. Therefore, do you not know that all of us who have been placed into Christ Jesus, right? We're now in him. We've been placed into what? Placed into his death. Did you catch it? Did you see what Paul wants us to know? What's so critical and so crucial for us to know is that because you and I are in Christ, we were included, we are placed into his death. Meaning, what happened to Josh? What happened to Robin? What happened to Greg? They were crucified with Christ on that cross. Verse 4 of Romans chapter 6 goes on to say they were buried with him through baptism, being included in his death. So when Christ was buried, what happened to them? They were buried. And that's significant. It's absolutely significant. I'm so glad that God included that because burial is a statement. When you you bury someone, what are you saying? You're saying goodbye. Goodbye. I mean, nowadays, with, with science and medicine, they can do amazing things to keep the, the human body alive, put in all kinds of machines, right? To, to keep that, that heart pumping and the lungs going and, and everything moving and, and so forth. They can keep the body alive. But, but when that death finally comes, we're burying them, we're saying goodbye. I'm, I'm convinced that the Catholics, they, they have what's called a wake, and I, I'm convinced that they call it awake to see if the guy wakes up, right? Because there have been occasions where people have pronounced dead only to wake up later. I remember just a, just a couple years ago, and I think it was in Hamilton, where a lady was pronounced dead and woke up about 12 hours later in the morgue. Can you imagine that? Waking up naked on a stainless steel table with a toe tag? I mean, that's the stuff of nightmares, right? That was her story. That's what happened. They thought she was dead, and then she woke up. So, good that they didn't bury her. But when the person doesn't wake up at the wake, they know they're not coming back. So, burial is a statement. Burial is saying goodbye. What's God saying when he crucified you and I with him on the cross and then buried us? Saying goodbye. He's saying goodbye to the old you. Read, go, just get around to verse 6 there, Romans 6.6. 6. Look what Paul says, knowing this. Look, look what he's doing. He's stating facts. These, these are simply the facts, right? Water is wet. The earth is round. Sorry, Kyrie Irving. It's round, not flat. And knowing this, the old self, the old you, the person you were when you arrived here on planet Earth, born in Adam, was crucified with him and was buried with him. The old you is gone. See, that's significant because, because when I talk with other, other Christians, I, I hear some phrases that is often used within Christianity today. I hear things such as over and over again, I hear people say, you know what? I just need to die to self again. That old self, he's back from the grave, just got him, put him to, put him to death. Where I I just need to die daily, every day. Here's here's big problems with that. First off, the only time die to self ever shows up in Scripture is in Romans 15, where Paul says no one can die to self. No one can die to self. I mean, think about it. I'm I'm so glad that God actually, Jesus was crucified by crucifixion. Because you think about it. There's a lot of ways you can kill yourself. Right, You can shoot yourself, poison yourself, throw yourself off a bridge, all kind, listen to country music. I mean, there's lots of ways you can kill yourself, right? But the one thing you can't do is you can't crucify yourself. I mean, think about it. You get your feet in there, you get one hand in place, now what do you do? Throw the hammer up and hope you get lucky or unlucky. Again, I haven't figured that one out yet. You can't do it. And I think that was God's divine duh. That's a technical term, by the way. That hint, him telling us, I'm not asking you to die to self. Instead, he says, do you not know that self already died? You don't have to die to self because it's already done. Commanding commanding you and I to die to self, would be kind of like God's commanding you right now to come in this room and sit down. Go ahead, do it. And you all look at me thinking, uh, we've already done it. And that's what God's saying. You don't need to die to self because I've already done it. And, and to that idea about dying daily. Yes, there is a verse in 1 Corinthians that Paul talks about. I died daily, but he wasn't talking about dying spiritually with Christ daily. He was talking about facing death each and every day. Because here's the problem. If you need to die daily, if somehow the old man comes back from the grave, which we don't really know who raises the old man because there's only one person that can resurrect anyone and that's God. And I don't think he's about to raise the old man. But let's assume for a moment he comes back from the grave. He crawls out and there he is and you got to put him to death every day. Guess who else has to die every day? Jesus would have to die. How many times does Jesus have to die? Once. Guess how many times you have to die? once. That's Romans 6, 9, and 10. We don't need to die daily. We don't need to die to self. We need to recognize, we need to count the truth, count it as a fact that you and I have already been crucified with Christ. That's what Paul's getting at here in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, Right? Because you and I were placed in Christ at the moment of, fo- of faith, at the moment of our salvation, we're placed in Christ. The old has passed away. The old's gone, dead, and buried, never to see the light of day ever again. Behold, now this is important in Romans, sorry, in 2 Corinthians 5 17. Behold, the new is it say will come? Does it say is coming? Or it says, has come. The new has already come. You're already a new creation. That's amazing. That's absolutely beautiful. That's that's the new Jim. A new creation in Christ. And he's in Christ and Christ is in him. He's not the same old Jim. He's not. But here's the problem. Here's, Here's the problem for every one of us. He looks like the old Jim, doesn't he? I mean, Geraldine, to be honest, like, he kind of looks a lot like, I mean, a, a, little, a little more of him this time, but, but he looks a lot like the old Jim. And every time you and I look in the mirror, guess what the flesh tells you? Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. You're still the same old pig. Sure, you might have been washed a little bit. Sure, you've been forgiven. But, but deep down, deep down, we know You're still not good. You're still not loved. You still don't belong. And if anyone knew what we know about you, they would reject you. And the greatest identity theft has taken place because the enemy is convincing you and I that we're someone we're not. And in believing that, in believing that we're someone we're not, he's, he's robbing us of our birthright. He's robbing us of the opportunity to live as these new creations. Because you see, when, when Jesus walked out of that tomb, he walked out as someone new. And you and I walked out with him. Now, here's the crazy thing. How loved is Jesus by God? Is he, is he mostly loved? Is he loved when Jesus does good things? Is he loved some of the time? How, How much is Jesus loved? Fully loved. Then how loved is Josh? You see, the reality is God can't love Jesus and love Josh any less. What does that say about you? How loved are you? How accepted are you, Bobby Joe? Fully. Fully. How safe are you, Lori? Fully. How much do you belong to him, Alex? Entirely. And here's what's great. How much did you have to do for it to be true of you? Nothing. Nothing but accept this gift of salvation. And we did that already at, at the cross. We already did that by faith. And it's now your birthright. It belongs to you. And what's beautiful is, again, it's all about those three things in real estate. It's all about... That was your moment, Tim. I was waiting for you. All right, location, location, location. Because we're located in Christ. It's 100% true of you. Can you change it? No. Because for you to diminish it, you would have to diminish Christ. Let that sink in. can't be done. And what's beautiful is we have something tangible to point to. It's the cross. This is the power of God by which we are being saved. I know too many Christians where this is foolishness, where, where they, they, they've rejected it. They believe that they still have these two natures, That, yes, I'm good, but I'm still bad. The old me is still around. And there's this internal struggle of me, the old me and new me. I know our Bibles often talk about the battle of two natures, but in the headings and the subtitles, but that's not what the writers said. I mean, think about it. Jesus said a house divided cannot stand. Do you think Jesus will go, welcome, you're saved. Now I'm going to set you up as a house divided, and you're going to live the rest of your lives that way. Good luck. Put that on the track and pass it around, please house divide cannot stand. He says, instead, what happens is you have to go in and you have to subdue the strong man and remove him in order that the new could come in. And that's what he did. He subdued the old man. He crucified the old man. He's gone. He's buried. And the new has moved in, a new creation that is now joined with Jesus, that is connected to Jesus. That's who you are. And I know it's so hard to believe because you look in the mirror and, and you have the memories and you look at your actions and you look at your behaviors. But think about it this way. The, the person in Adam, can they do any, any good acts, any good deeds to get out of Adam? No. So their actions, good or bad, can't change who they are because they are simply who they are because they're in Adam. Well, that isn't the same true for those who are in Christ. Because you're in Christ, your actions, good or bad, doesn't actually change who you are. You are who you are because you're one with him, because you're in him. That's who we are. And what God's asking us now is to reckon it, to realize it. In fact, that's what he goes on to say in, in Romans 6.11, the very first command in the book of Romans. Now, some translations say consider, which is a really weak word. It makes it sound like, you know, think about it. But don't, don't do it, don't, up to you. I like the King James, it says reckon. It's like, it's like an accounting term, add it up. Count it to be a fact, count it to be true. And the first command is you and I have to recognize, trust in, count that it's a real fact, that you died. That you died to sin. You died to the old master. Sin's not the one that controls you anymore because you're not in Adam anymore. You're now alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's who you are, as my friend likes to say, on your worst day, a new creation in Christ. And if we could trust that, I mean, if if we could trust that you already are fully loved and you'll never get any more love than you are today. If if we could trust that, that you are fully approved and fully accepted and you'll never get any more accepted or approved than you are today. If you could trust that you have an infinite value and worth and nothing you can do can add or subtract from it, how how would we live? I have a a quote. I meant to to bring it this morning by Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher from last century. And And he talks about this passage here in Romans 6, and he talks about if we could just believe it, if we could just believe what God says about us, we would hold our heads up high, we would defy sin and Satan, and we would live. We'd finally live. Because we wouldn't have to worry about trying to put to death something that's already gone. I mean, think about the amount of energy that you have spent trying to crucify something that's no longer around. It's like trying to shadow box and, and defeat your shadow. No matter how much you punch, no matter how much you fight, you never actually gain victory. And the good news is you don't have to, because knowing this has already been done. It's already been accomplished. Like I said, this is, this is probably the most important message that I'm going to share all year. And so what I want to do, I asked Marco to kind of walk around with the mic because what I want to do, I want to hear from you guys. What is it you're hearing me say? What's, what's what's sinking in? What's God telling you about this truth that you've been crucified with Christ and the old you is gone, no longer lives, but Christ lives in you? I, I would love a chance just to hear some feedback about what what are you hearing? What's God saying? So, just raise your hand, and Marco will bring the mic over so that the people online can hear what's being said. Anyone want to share what God's saying to you? Um, I think it I think it's a great message because. You're right, in that all my life I lived that uh, all the things I did, uh, I was a terrible person, or am I forgiven? And I never thought of it that way, being in Adam or being in Christ, and that uh, that you can't do anything because you are doing it with them already. They're mm-hmm. already doing it. Yeah. So this message this morning has really... Uh, clarified and really hit home that how wrong I've been and how uh, I deceived myself yeah. all these years and what I was thinking. Yeah. So thank you so much for that. Good. M- remember what Jesus said on the cross? It is almost done. You just got a little bit more work to do, Danielle, and I'm sure you'll make it one of these days. Is that what he said? It is finished. Loosely translated, Joe, that means, Joe, there's nothing left for you to do. It's finished. How do you add to the finished work of Jesus? You can't. Isaac. I've been going through the uh, book of Psalms, and um, the reoccurring theme in the Psalms is that the, uh, the authors always count on the love of God for all his promises to be secured and mm-hmm. to... Be revealed, right? Yeah. And, um, I always thought, you know, how much does God love me? And then this message here assured me that He loves him as much as He loves Christ. You know, loves me as much as He loves Christ. Yeah. And that, you know, all the promises that Christ has, and you know, we're, we're going to share His
0: inheritance, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Because He loves us so much. And That's right. There's no no doubt.
1: That's right. When yeah. when we believe it. Absolutely. Absolutely, because, again, in, in the Psalms, they were looking forward, right? They were, they, they were not yet realizing it. The writer Hebrews talks about that in Hebrews 11, right? All these great men and women of faith, they were looking forward to promises that had not yet been complete. But then on the cross, it's finished. It's done. And so we look back. And that's what's so amazing. We have something tangible to point to. Ah, good stuff. I think that what keeps coming to my mind is if someone gave me a beautifully wrapped gift that they were excited to give me and couldn't wait for me to open, and instead of opening it, I kept giving it back to them saying, no, no, like, I I don't deserve a present. Mm -hmm. Please don't give me a present. I can't open the present. And instead, I just want to keep walking away feeling unloved and uncared for instead of accepting the gift. And so... That just came through yeah. again. It's, I think we make it harder than it needs to be. Yeah. We feel like it should be harder. We, yeah, that's it. That's that enemy, right? Because it's, it's not really done yet. But I love that. Own your gift, right? Own it. It's been given to you. Own your death. Own your burial. Own that resurrection. You already are a new creation. We got Jim over here. Um, what What just keeps coming to my mind is just the implications of this as as we walk through the world, like that we're in Christ and Christ is in us, and the just the ramifications of everywhere I go and everything I do I'm in Christ, and god's power that he's given to Christ you know over everything, mm-hmm. the fact that that power is is with me, everywhere I go, the confidence that we should have in walking in in Christ wherever yeah. we go the 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 fact that God is going to do whatever he wants wherever we go we should just go where wherever we want yeah. the power of uh, you know unlimited abilities is is going with us absolutely ah so good so good three simple statements for me is I am forgiven, mm-hmm. I have been set free, and mm-hmm. I am loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And all took place in the cross, right? Jesus' death forgave you, your death set you free. And together, being in Christ qualifies you to be loved. Oh. You know, the simplicity of it. I think sometimes we, we complicate things. That's, that's what you're getting at, Laurie, in terms of like, I have earned that gift. The simplicity of it. And that's what, that's what Paul was trying to say. He's warning. We're going we're to get to it in 2 Corinthians 11, about two years from now, where he says, I, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned that just as the serpent deceived Eve, he's going to deceive you from the simplicity that is in Christ. It, it really is this simple. It's done. The old you's dead. You're already a new creation. Christ lives in you, you and him. Now go forward and live, just as Jim said, with that power. Sue. Um, so, for me, the uh, for years, the biggest obstacle to receiving that truth of being new was that I remember thinking, I don't feel new, <laughs> I feel the same. Yeah. And so, it, it caused
0: me to really doubt, well, am I? And how new is new, and all yeah. of that, and so, um, I have learned, it's not based on how I feel. Yeah. It's based on what happened to
1: me Amen. at the cross. Amen. And so it took me a while, but I've, you know, to receive that. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's not about how you feel, Sue. Yeah. It's about what Jesus has already done. Yeah. In, in John chapter 8, Jesus says to his disciples, if you hold to my teachings, if you hold to the truth, the truth will set you free. Right? It's not about what we feel. It's it's holding to the truth of what God says. All right. This will be trouble. It's Caleb. (laughs) Buckle up, everyone. So when I was baptized at Camp Wanabond in the pool, I had this moment and when I came
0: out of the water, it's like you know that part in the Bible where it was where they described it when heaven split open and the throne came down. That's basically what happened to me. It's just, it was a split second where that happened. And when you talked about baptizing, I never really knew how much it meant.
1: Well, I don't know how you follow that, so (laughs) we're just going to close in prayer, but thank you. Lord Jesus, this has happened. We've We've been baptized. We've been immersed into you. And the ramifications of that is huge, much more than forgiven. We were crucified in order to remove the old, broken, shameful sinner. That person would have been buried and would no longer exist. That's what your word says. But you raised us up as a new creation. Someone different. You didn't raise the old sinner. You didn't just give him a bath. You raised us up as someone new, as someone different, that's actually loved by you. Someone that you're proud of. Someone to whom you're happy to be associated with. Someone that you've united yourself to. And that's who we are. And we know, Father, that there's an enemy out there that is lying to us day in, day out, and throughout the day, trying to convince us we're someone we're not. Trying to convince us that there's something we could do to somehow earn the gift, to change things, to improve things. That if we just figured out the magic formula, then finally that old man would go away. But it's all a lie of the enemy, deceiving us from the simplicity of what you've done on the cross. And I pray, Father, that we would reckon, that we would count the message of the cross, the finished work of cross, as true for us. And that we would experience the power of God, your power, each and every day as we're experiencing victory, experiencing salvation over temptation, over shame, over our feelings, over our insecurities, over our hurts, over our pain. We experience victory in you. We love you and we thank you for what you've done. And I pray, Lord, as as we leave here this morning, you would continue to speak to us. Continue to assure us that this is in fact true. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be receded. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.